Okay, so I don't think uh, it ever gets easier to teach, really. It's like uh, there's always a sense of anticipation with every single lesson. So I'm both excited and nervous as always. My lovely wife, Vanna, will close the door. <laughs> and if you would like to hold your hand up and show no, our, <laughs> uh, our subject. Our subject from the, the book is uh, sin is the root of our uh, problem. So man as a people have a problem. That problem is sin. And we'll read Genesis chapter 3 here in just a second. But uh, one of the things that I think is uh, innate to ourselves as people because, you know, we are fallen and... Uh, we come to this world, we see God's creation like it talks about in Romans 1. Romans 1. We see all this order around us, and we know there must be something up. Like, man, in and of himself, always tends to question his existence. Where did I come from? How did this all start? Um, so on and so forth. Um, and everything has a beginning, doesn't it? Um, we, even though... We're born into sin. We come up with moral questions, and our sin uh, perverts those questions sometimes, and we come up with wrong conclusions, wrong answers, what have you. Um, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man and original sin this morning. So we're going to begin in the first verse. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to, you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this thing, this curse, <clears throat> because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat 
all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will be surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistle, thistles <laughs> it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you, returned, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his name, wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. We'll stop there. Uh, the first thing that's problematic for me, and I pray that uh, my, my thoughts kind of get streamlined, but uh, is just there's so much we could talk about with this uh, chapter this morning. As I said, we all have a beginning point, and that beginning point is God. God is eternal. God is uncaused by anything else. He has always self-existed. The Trinity has always been there. Uh, there's one God, three persons. Each are fully God. There is one God. God, according to his will and good pleasure, spoke, and there was light. And he began to form the world in seven days. He made man and placed him in the garden. And man was perfect, wasn't he? And man had free will. If there was ever a man that had free will in existence, it is Adam. God gave him everything in the, the garden to eat. Gave him the privilege of naming the animals. Later he caused him to go into a deep sleep. And he made from one of Adam's ribs, out of his side, a woman. And presented the woman to him. Adam saw her. And the joke is, whoa man, <laughs> she must have been beautiful. But he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are one. They were married. God performed the very first marriage ceremony. And he gave him one uh, commandment. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree, every tree of the garden, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Adam had the privilege already of eternal life. Every blessing was his in the garden, and one thing was placed before him. This tree, don't eat it. You do, you die. And there was a covenant made between Adam and God. It was a do and live covenant. As long, or, as long as Adam did what God told him to do, don't eat of this tree, he lived. And that seems like a very simple thing. And, you know, I've been guilty of making, I'm fidgeting with my keys, um, making the jokes that it's uh, placing blame on Adam and joking about Adam and his sin. But I don't know that any of us would have done any better. I don't know how long of a time it was before Adam uh, fell into sin. I tend to think not very long. Perhaps he enjoyed the blessings of the garden for a while, walking and talking with God, enjoying his wife when he got the chance, working. Work was given before the fall, and uh, work, I imagine, was good. But at some point, Adam sinned, didn't he? He transgressed God's law that had been given to him. We know from the Bible that sin in the angelic world at some point had to precede the sin in the garden because Satan sinned against God and took a host of some of the angels with him. He desired to be like God, and God cast him out of heaven. I do know that in spite of this, we cannot accuse God of sin, can we? Four verses. Uh, someone get Deuteronomy 32 and 4. Another person get James 1 and 13. Another Job 34 and 10. And another Genesis 18 and 25. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Uh, verse 4. Yes. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. That's right. God is just and upright, faithful, without iniquity. James 1.13. 1, 1.13. Yeah. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God cannot tempt <coughs> others with evil. He tempts no one. And he cannot be tempted with evil. Um, Job 34 and 10. <clears throat> Therefore hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness. And from the Almighty that he should do wrong. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness. <clears throat> that he should do wrong. Uh, Genesis 18, 25. Uh, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it 
far be that from me. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? The judge of all the earth shall do what is just because he is just, right? It is intrinsic to his character. He is good. He is perfect. He is just. God tells, tells us that he does not change. And uh, he does not sin, neither can he look upon sin. So we cannot blame sin as an origin point with God. We know that God uses our sinfulness towards his honor and glory. He doesn't do that in a way where he causes us to sin. But yet in his power, he's able to use it while at the same time being blameless. As we're looking in here at the first or the third chapter, we start with the serpent. And we find that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. The fact that the serpent is a beast, for one thing, we need to pause here real quick and understand that there's not some sense of dualism between God and the devil. Whether this is a demonic entity or the devil himself or the devil speaking through some kind of a creature, uh, there's not a sense of uh, uh, equal opposites, like an equal good and an equal bad. Satan is a creature himself and is only allowed to do what God allows him to do. Um, but the serpent comes into the, the, um, the garden, a beast of the field, and notice that he doesn't go to Adam, who was given the command. He goes to Eve. He says, First of all, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, tree, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the first thing the serpent does here when he gets into the garden, he circumvents Adam, goes to his help, um, his wife, and tempts her. First of all, he challenges the truth of God. He basically asks Eve, are you sure? Um, and makes God to be a liar. Then he attacks what is right. It is right to obey God. And says, you will not surely die. Will not surely die. Uh, God is lying to you. This is wrong. He knows that when you eat, you'll be like him. So then he challenges their question of who they are, their identity. He, they are created beings subordinate to God, made for his good pleasure. And... Um, He presents this temptation to them so that they can be 
like God. To t- they can take the place of God. Um, they can elevate themselves above, above their station. Can you imagine Eve there in the garden? She's already has someone head over her, and then she's getting presented with the um, opportunity to, in her mind, elevate her status and be the one in charge. Uh, the uh, serpent not only is tempting Eve, but he's subverting the whole idea of headship here. The woman was given to Adam and, uh, you know, I believe that men and women are equal, but they are have different God-given roles. But he bypasses uh, Adam, goes to Eve, tempts her, and then the Bible tells us here that um, she takes, eats, and then gives to Adam who the Bible says, um, let me find it real quick. Six. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make them wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Notice that phrase, who was with her. I always tend to have the picture by default, even though I've read this time and time again, that Eve is often some secluded place in a different part of the garden, she, she walked off from Adam for a little bit, went for a stroll, and the serpent snuck over to, their, to her without Adam looking. And uh, there, uh, the devil just really got to her, and, you know, then she had to go back and uh, take that to Adam. Adam was with her. Adam... We like to joke about Eve and make her the, the problem, even though it is problematic that she sinned. But Adam was there the whole time. Adam was the leader of his household. And yet Adam, in the process of this temptation, said nothing and followed his wife in that sin. Rather than be a man in that instance and say, no, God commanded us this, we will not do it. If Adam and Eve had not taken of that fruit, they would still be okay. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they ate of the fruit, their eyes were open, and they sinned. And God will say later, now that this is what happened, that man has become like them to know him to know good and evil. Here's the difference, though. There is deception by the serpent because while we, uh, man, now possess the knowledge of good and evil, it didn't work out the way they thought it would, did it? Instead, they, they opened their eyes, found that they were naked, they were ashamed, they realized they had done wrong, they tried to cover themselves up. Um, 
while God knows good and evil, he knows it because he's uh, omniscient, right? We've already established that he himself does not do evil. Adam and Eve came to that knowledge by becoming evil. A lot of people would like to say that this narrative is allegorical or something like an Aesop's fable. I believe it to be historical. Um, the events, the accounts of what happened in the Bible are real. And we need to read them and understand them, take them to our heart. When we speak about them, we need to speak about them in that fashion. Because it is the truth. God is truth. His word is truth. And all truth is defined by God. Let's, uh, let's turn to um, Romans 5, 12 through 21. Bible here says, uh, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sin whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin, therefore, the transgression of the law came into the world through one man, Adam, and because of that, death also passed upon all men. And the Bible tells us, us that all men have all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, there is no exception with this. Firstly, um, 
we could look at this and say, even though we weren't there, that this is somehow not fair. But God makes the rules, doesn't he? Adam represented us all. The, the term is called federal headship. Um, that Adam, as our representative, sinned for all of us, even though we haven't sinned after the likeness of Adam's sin. We weren't around when that happened. How could we possibly be blamed? A, a good example of a federal headship, I may struggle to get it out rightly, but uh, I was listening to a Vody Bauckham sermon, and he was talking about this very concept in The Fall of Man, and he was talking about monarchies. Uh, and what was interesting to me, he was talking about up until so many recent years, um, wars really needed to be approved by Congress for us to go into war. And um, so in that sense, America is one of the few places that have been protected from federal headship and that our representatives in Congress have to represent us and vote yay or nay on a war. Really, we haven't had that <laughs> in recent wars, um, to my knowledge. But in a monarchy, if uh, the king there um, looks at another nation and decides he wants to declare war on them, go to war, uh, his um, choices represent the entire people. Think about the a president, and think about the way a lot of um, other nations tend to view us. You've got certain whole nations that are uh, hate America for whatever reason, maybe justified, maybe not. I don't know, because I'm not one of them. But... Um, when the president makes a choice and sends over planes to bomb a certain area, often you'll see from news media and other things that those people respond in anger towards Americans in general. And the thought of you as an individual is completely thrown out. I mean, it's not... And, and this is all done sinfully, but God... In looking at Adam, saw his sin, and um, we are all guilty now. He represented us all. And while that seems unfair, we then have a second Adam in a minute that we'll talk about. And his, uh, his representation of us before God. Secondly, even dismissing that for a moment... I talked to you out of Ephesians 1, uh, 2, 1 through 3, last time I talked. The set, third verse says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We have a sin nature as well, don't we? In other words, Adam, uh, when he sinned and fell in the garden, his nature was changed into a sinful nature and nature produces nature so when he, he and Eve go forth and procreate now being in sin they produce more sinners right so it's inherited as well so we're completely marred by sin as I talked about last time we're dead in trespasses and sin we don't feel God we're unable to um, 
do anything to please God. Our entire life's walk is a sinful walk, and we walk right off into condemnation and wrath apart from Jesus Christ. Just as sin came to the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. This continued through history, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam, before falling into sin, was a type of Jesus Christ. But the free gift is not, well, that just jumped on me. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. That many is all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the hope. We, our sin originates in Adam. It has its roots in Adam. The seed was planted in Adam, our sinfulness, and it grew into the whole human race. Fruit of unrighteousness, evil deeds, wickedness, enemies of God. And yet, Jesus Christ, and I'm summarizing because I've got a little bit of time left, Jesus Christ comes down from heaven, is born as a baby, grows in this world, and this section of scripture talks about his obedience to God. He obeys God. He fulfills the law where Adam could not, where we could not. Becomes a perfect and willing sacrifice and does what that picture shows in the garden where after um, God had cursed the serpent, he had uh, told Eve that she was going to have pain in childbearing. And that Adam was going to struggle with the work that was given to him on the ground. He was going to have thorns come up. He then took a proper covering instead of those fig leaves, slew an animal, made skins, and covered them, symbolizing the death that Christ was going to die on the cross for those that he saves. And not only did Jesus Christ die, he conquered death and rose again, didn't he? He rose and met with his people, and then ascended into glory. And the church went out, preaching the gospel message that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Amen. And we're nothing without Christ. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man's sin and death, through sin and death, and so death spread to all men because all sin, verse 12, skipping to 19, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. We have been made righteous. And that federal headship I talked about earlier, Adam represented, presenting us, now covered in the blood of the Lamb, when God looks from his throne and looks into your heart, if you know him, he doesn't see or count your sin against you. He sees the righteousness, the imputed, placed upon you righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is alien to us. We didn't do anything. It is all of Christ, 
And Christ deserves all honor and glory this morning, doesn't he? Sin is the root of our problem, but there is a solution, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is a wonderful blessing that you and I have been made to partake in that, that we can say it's all of him, nothing of us. And we get to tell other people about that. We have the privilege of being together in church to worship God about that. We get to hear from the word of God this morning and rejoice in him. And we get to go from this place and tell others about Jesus. And it's a struggle. We're not perfect. We're, like I said last week, in this warfare. But we need to be reminded constantly from the word of God, both as a, as a community, as a collective, and as individuals, of what we have and what others need. That this problem is something we all share. It may look different in everyone's life, but the problem we share is a very common one. And there is a world that needs Jesus Christ. I forget that every week, it feels like. But I'm thankful when I'm reminded of where I've been and because of Christ, where I am now bound. And I want others to go there too, don't you? All right, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, your blessings, for your word this morning. We pray that you renew in our hearts a sense of joy and um, help us daily to uh, walk after you, to war against our flesh and pursue the holiness of God. Um, we pray for our, the preaching of the word today, that it would affect those hearts, all our hearts, whether lost or saved, that we might grow in you and that the lost may come to you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.